This is Central Time. I'm Rob Ferrett. Governor Tony Evers is suing Republicans in the state legislature over their decision to block pay raises for UW system employees until diversity initiatives on campuses are stopped and the decision to block some conservation projects proposed under the Knowles-Nelson Stewardship Program. Here's Governor Evers. When the Republicans decided that 35,000 people that work for the UW system shouldn't get a raise without having any legislation that that gives them that authority. That's just bullshit. Evers argues that because these decisions were made in committees rather than through a full legislative vote, lawmakers are violating the state constitution's rules on separation of powers. The governor's office is requesting that the suit go directly to the state Supreme Court, according to a statement that's due, quote, to its significant statewide importance, as well as the exigent harms caused by Republicans' unconstitutional obstruction. We're talking about Governor Evers' lawsuit against Republican lawmakers, and you can join in at 800-642-1234. Do you think state lawmakers, uh, Republicans in particular in the legislature, are overreaching their powers? What are your thoughts on pay raises being blocked for UW system employees until diversity initiatives on campuses are stopped? Do these actions rise to obstruction of government function since they were decided in committees? Join in at 800-642-1234. That's 800-642-1234 or email ideas at WPR.org. Mordecai Lee is a professor emeritus at UW-Milwaukee and a former member of the Wisconsin State Legislature. Mordecai, welcome back to Central Time. Thanks, Rob. Glad to be here. Good to have you back. Now, how common is it for the governor of Wisconsin to sue the legislature of Wisconsin? You know, this is pretty unusual and pretty odd. And what I'm fearing is that we in Wisconsin have gotten so partisan and and deeply rooted in our partisan identity that, um, you know, some people who are Republican will immediately say, oh, this is dumb. And some people who are Democrats will say, oh, this is the greatest thing since sliced bread. I'm hoping that over the next half hour, we can talk about this in a nonpartisan way based on the principles at hand of what would generically be called a legislative veto. Let's talk about that. Before we get into the particulars, it seems like this is a core issue, this idea, and correct me if I'm summing this up wrong, Mordecai, but uh, legislation passed uh, that grants the legislature, uh, through some of its committees, power to uh, do some of the job that's usually done by the executive branch. It seems like that's the core of this uh, separation of powers dispute. Now, before we get into the dispute itself, you, it's been a couple sessions since you were actually in the legislature yourself, Mordecai. Uh, but back in the day, was this a common practice that uh, a law would be created and then a committee in the legislature would be part of overseeing the execution of that law? Well, back in the day, it was very limited. Um, there was uh, the committee. It's called by its abbreviation Joker. And a joker was a joint committee that had final approval for pay raises. And so that's no different from what we're talking about today in terms of UW employees. There was the JCRAR, uh, Joint Committee for Review of Administrative Rules. That committee could suspend an administrative rule that was already in effect without going to the full legislature. But that was about it in those days. It's become much more common Uh, Since we've had a situation of a legislature uh, dominated by one party and a governor's office dominated by the other party. 
Given that there's that precedent, though, uh, could a, a court look at this and say, well, you've been doing this in one way or another for a lot of years. We've got a longstanding precedent, so that's okay. That's how Wisconsin works. You know, I, I think the precedents are relatively limited. In other words, a court could say, okay, you've done pay raises this way, uh, you know, since time immemorial, uh, although you've never done it in a way that only gave it to some state employees and not to other state employees. So that's a line of argumentation. JCRAR, in terms of suspending an existing administrative rule, uh, was relatively unusual in those days. And it certainly didn't have to do with uh, preventing a rule from going into effect. So it's possible that you could have a judicial decision that says what is remains is, but all this other new stuff uh, we're going to look much more closely at. So let's uh, look at that phrase you brought up earlier, legislative veto. Could you talk about what you mean by that and uh, and what it means for us? Yeah, I think it all goes back to... Um, what was that ABC TV show? Um, I think it was Schoolhouse Rock. Oh, yeah. And one of the episodes was called I'm Just a Bill. And uh, frankly, that that was a much better explanation of how a bill becomes a law than any 50-minute <laughs> lecture by a professor. <laughs> uh, and uh, I, I'm guessing that a lot of your listeners might remember it, or even some people might remember the basics of how a bill becomes a law back from high school civics. But uh, the essential... Um, uh, uh, a principle that all of us really take for granted and don't think about much is that in our constitutional system, the legislature passes bills and then a governor can either decide to sign it or veto it. In other words, the enacting something belongs to the legislature and vetoing it belongs to the chief executive. What a legislative veto does is it turns the process upside down where a governor or a president proposes something, and then the legislature vetoes it. It might veto it uh, through a um, one committee. It might veto it through a one-house vote or even a two-house vote. But it turns the situation backwards. And so I think that the state Supreme Court is going to be interested in looking at this in principle, uh, and in part because the U.S. Supreme Court made a relatively similar decision back in 1983. And that might end up being a pretty prevailing precedent. Talking to Mordecai Lee, Emeritus Professor at UW-Milwaukee, looking at Governor Evers' lawsuit against the Republican-led state legislature over uh, using committees to block certain laws from coming into full effect. You can join in at 800-642-1234 with your reactions, your thoughts, your questions, 800-642-1234. Okay, let's dig into the particular issues uh, being brought up in this lawsuit now. They've got some of the general stuff uh, in there, Mordecai. Uh, First of all, Evers suing over, you mentioned the Joint Committee on Employee Relations, Joker, They approved this uh, pay raise that had been passed uh, in the state budget, 6% pay raise for all state employees, except for those in the UW system. Disclaimer, uh, everybody at WPR is under the UW system. Uh, Anyhow, can you talk a little bit about that dispute? Uh, Here's a situation where the ideological politics of the legislature versus a Democratic governor are really clashing. Uh, If you peel back just a layer or two, uh, the logic uh, of the linkage uh, becomes clear. But I I think like you, Rob, I should put in the disclaimer that as Professor Emeritus, I'm no longer an employee of the university and 
Therefore, I don't have any skin in the game. I'm not <laughs> affected by this. Uh, but here you've got Speaker Voss, a very powerful uh, speaker, a Republican speaker, who says that he's against the university having a diversity activities, equity activities, and he wants the legislature to, um, excuse me, he wants the university to abolish those offices. And he's using this as a kind of leverage. He's saying, I won't permit Joker to give all university employees the pay raise we have approved for other state employees until UW abolishes its, uh, what they're called DEI, its diversity and inclusiveness uh, offices. And the president of the university uh, has been very clear that uh, this does not seem fair and that there seems uh, he also is willing to defend DEI at UW as being reasonable. And so now we're at loggerheads. Um, so you've got um, the speaker looking for leverage, and this is one of them. Then the other issue, not quite as high profile, it's something we've talked about on the show over the last year or so, the uh, Knowles-Nelson Stewardship Program. This is uh, the Joint Finance Committee gets to review some of these projects, has blocked some, according to the petition from uh, the Attorney General here, without providing explanation for why they were blocked. Uh, uh, Pelican River Forest Conservation, Cedar Gorge Clay Buff, Bluffs were a couple of those. Uh, I don't know if this is the, uh, the headline uh, part of this story, Mordecai, but what do you think about that part of the suit? Well, uh, there are probably two factors here. One of them is the principle of a committee making a decision, a, a committee exercising a veto, uh, a little bit parallel to when we talked about Joker. The other one is the committee exercising the veto uh, based on an anonymous uh, objection. Uh, I, I, I think those are sort of mm -hmm. two different animals, and, and I hope they won't sort of be confused and intertwined. I don't recall from my years in the legislature a similar situation like this, but certainly one can describe this as a legislative veto that um, a DNR has approved uh, a, a, a grant of money to uh, acquire land for conservation purposes and that a committee of the legislature is vetoing it as opposed to similar to Joker, as opposed to the legislature opposing it. So it's the principle of, of does can a subunit of the legislature exercise a veto? And even can the legislature as a whole exercise it as a veto as opposed to as a law? And that gets back to where we started the conversation, mm -hmm. how a bill becomes a law. The legislature can pass any bill it wants. It can pass a bill that says, we don't want to fund you know, X conservation project, and then a governor uh, uh, can either sign it or veto it. That, I think, is what the governor is trying to get at. Mordecai Lee is with us, Professor Emeritus at UW-Milwaukee, former member of the Wisconsin State Legislature, talking with him about Governor Evers' lawsuit against Republican lawmakers for what he alleges is a violation of the state constitution's rules on separation of powers. You could join in at 800-642-1234. Do you have a reaction to this lawsuit? Are you following it closely? Do you think the state legislature is exceeding its constitutional authority? Join in with your thoughts or questions at 800-642-1234. That's 800-642-1234 or email ideas at WPR.org. We'll pick up the conversation coming up here on Central Time.
You're listening to Central Time. I'm Rob Ferret. We're picking up our talk with Mordecai Lee, Professor Emeritus at UW-Milwaukee, former member of the Wisconsin State Legislature, looking at Governor Evers' lawsuit against Republican members of the legislature for what he says is a violation of separation of powers, pointing in this, at least in this particular lawsuit, to uh, refusal by lawmakers to extend pay raises to UW system employees that have been approved previously in the budget. Also, some stewardship of programs being blocked by anonymous lawmakers. You can join in at 800-642-1234. Do you have thoughts on those two particular issues? The wider question of uh, constitutional authority, is the balance being tipped too far in favor of the legislature? Join in at 800-642-1234. That's 800-642-1234. You can also email ideas at WPR.org. Mordecai, we have, uh, as we've talked about, uh, two specific examples here. Uh, is it possible that uh, a decision by the court, and we don't know what that would be, is it possible that a decision by the court would affect a lot more uh, cases like this where legislative committees have uh, more comparable authority to these cases? Uh, I think the best way to answer it is to look at the precedent from when the U.S. Supreme Court made a decision about legislative vetoes in 1983. It was a decision about the Immigration and Naturalization Service, and it's known as the Chada decision because Mr. Chada was the one who was suing INS about his citizenship. But what the U.S. Supreme Court decided then was that the method by which uh, the U.S. Congress um, cast a legislative veto uh, against INS was unconstitutional because it only required one house of the U.S. Congress to exercise the veto, as opposed to what we're used to from high school civics, two houses of Congress making a, a joint decision. And so as a result of uh, that decision, um, Congress gradually stopped inserting um, the option of legislative vetoes in bills that it was passing, in laws that it was passing. And it gradually fell out of disuse. Uh, I, I researched this when it came to a president having a power to reorganize the federal government, where the president had to submit a plan to Congress based on a law that Congress had passed. And then Congress had the power to veto the proposal, the plan, but only both houses of Congress uh, would have to agree to the legislative veto. But I think, uh, but based on the historical record, Ever since the 1983 Chadha decision, the uh, Congress never renewed a president's power to uh, submit reorganization plans because I think they realized that the Chadha decision also made their legislative veto power, even though it was both houses, probably suspect under the Constitution. And I think that's how the state Supreme Court is going to proceed. Now, I'm looking back at uh, the end of 2018 after Governor Evers won an election before he came to power. There's a lot of attention to some uh, so-called lame duck laws passed by the Republican legislature and then outgoing Republican Governor Scott Walker. One of those uh, gave the legislature the power to permanently block regulations written by the state's administrative agencies. Those are part of the executive branch. Are some of those decisions made in that brief window between the election day and inauguration day for Governor Evers, uh, are those part of the story here where you had a governor willing to at least cede at least some authority to the legislature? I think this is one of those cases where, unfortunately, we have to look at it through a partisan prism and, and note the hypocrisy and double standards that we're seeing from politicians on from both parties. 
So in the incident that you de- instance that you described, it was Republicans wanting to proactively prevent a Democratic governor from having certain powers. And so Democrats complained that this was just so unfair because they didn't do it to a Republican governor, and now they're doing it to a Democratic governor. So now the shoe is on the other foot, and Democrats, through this lawsuit, are hoping to regain some gubernatorial powers. And the Republican leaders of uh, the state legislature are shocked, shocked at this effort uh, to gra- at a power grab. And I, I think this is why we Wisconsinites are just so impatient with politicians that instead of having a consistent point of view, they have a double standard. If it's good for my side, I'll support it. If it's bad for my side, I'll oppose it. Even if those two things contradict each other. Let's bring on a caller at 800-642-1234. Kay is with us in Madison. Kay, hello. Hello, and hello, Mordecai. I used to serve with you on the poli-sci committee years ago. Oh, my I'm God. Back. Hi, Kay. <laughs> I'm back in Madison now after being in New York State for and city for several years. I was a campaign aide to a future chief judge of the state of New York, and he taught me to um, concentrate you know, pay attention to the establishment clauses. And the first one in the Constitution is established justice. To my mind, if you don't have equal educations, you're not receiving equal justice. And the Wisconsin's governor's first designated priority in the Wisconsin Constitution is to ensure domestic tranquility. So if you have justice, you have tranquility. So I think it's domestic responsibility and and constitutional responsibility to have equality, which means diversity in our universities. And I think the governor is doing his duty constitutionally. Okay, thanks for the call. Let's go right to that last point. Mordecai Kay thinks uh, ultimately the governor is uh, right to doing his duty, she says, to uh, make this legal challenge to the state legislature. Well, there's no doubt that based on the specifics of what the lawsuit is, in other words, Kay was uh, talking about the uh, blocking of pay raise uh, for university employees, that one could make an argument that this leads to, let's say, inequitable higher education. Now, it's also possible that the counter argument would be, well, we're affecting all university employees, UW employees, and therefore we're dealing with all of that category of of employees uh, fairly. I'm not sure if if that's where the lawsuit is going to go. I suspect that it's not going to go that far into the weeds of uh, Kay's argument, but it's going to stop at the issue of the principle of legislative veto being constitutional or not. Okay, thanks for that call. Mordecai, one other part of the story I want to get into, the governor uh, saying, hey, this should go to the state Supreme Court. It doesn't have to work its way up the usual way through the lower courts and on up uh, the state Supreme Court under new management after our last state Supreme Court election. What do you think of the move to get it straight to the top? Well, again, it's an issue of uh, where you stand depends on where you sit. In other words, when there was a conservative majority on the state Supreme Court, uh, Republicans were always delighted when the Supreme Court would take original jurisdiction, uh, the way you described it, Rob. In other words, that instead of the Supreme Court being the appellate court, that it would just, bam, take it right away, and the case wouldn't have to work its way up the uh, chain of of courts. Uh, Now there's a uh, Democratic majority, a de facto Democratic majority on the Supreme Court, 
And so the shoe is on the other foot. And Dems are delighted by this, and Republicans are appalled by it. And it's, again, I suppose one could try to strip away the partisanship and say, does the case deserve to be dealt with immediately, this week, this month, as opposed to, let's say, over the course of six months or a year or two years, as it goes from trial-level court to the Court of Appeals to the Supreme Court? And I think it just depends on how one judges any specific issue and its uh, urgency in in terms of uh, taking it up right away at the Supreme Court. I want to take our last minute, Mordecai, as I often do when I talk to you, to to look back at a past historic example. Uh, Tommy Thompson, Republican governor of Wisconsin, long stretch of time with him in the governor's office, Democrats in charge of the legis- legislature. It wasn't all hugs and kisses, but they seem to function in a way that divided government doesn't in Wisconsin now. Uh, am I right? Can we get back there if so? Well, I know I'm going to sound like an old codger, but uh, I definitely think that when I was in the legislature and there were Republican governors, there were Democratic governors, I was in the legislature from the mid-70s to 1989. And it it always struck me as being all of us trying to be reasonable and uh, compromise uh, was a way to solve problems. And now I think we've gotten to a situation where there's just this lockstep knee-jerk if the Dems are for it, Republicans are against it. If the Republicans are for it, Dems are against it. And nobody's looking at the issues and the merits of the issue, let alone how can we compromise on this? How can each of us get half a loaf? And so I really regret it because I, I like your example, Rob. Tommy Thompson believed in compromise, and that's why we remember him so fondly. Mordecai, we'll leave it there. Thanks, as always, for joining us today. Anytime. Thanks, Rob. That's Mordecai Lee, Professor Emeritus at UW-Milwaukee, former member of the Wisconsin State Legislature. He talked to us about Governor Evers' lawsuit against Republican lawmakers. You can read more about that and follow its progress online at WPR.org. Our state capital team will be watching that as it progresses, maybe straight to the state Supreme Court. Coming up tomorrow on The Morning Show with Kate Archer-Kent, a new investigation looks into stories behind the statistics when it comes to gun-related deaths, homicides, and suicides here in Wisconsin. The reporter behind that story joins the program, and you can join in as well with your, your thoughts and your questions for Kate's guest. That's coming up tomorrow morning at 8. You can join the conversation right here on the Ideas Network. You're listening to Central Time. I'm Rob Barrett. This winter, home heating costs in the Midwest are projected to be 21% less than last winter, according to the U.S. Energy Information Administration. But even with that drop, Wisconsinites can expect one of the most expensive winters on record. Our next guest is a household utility expert with information on how the energy market could impact our heating bills and what resources are available for people who want to save money or need help meeting their energy bills. You could join in at 800-642-1234. Is your heating bill manageable during the winter? What steps do you take to be energy efficient? Do you have any secret energy-saving hacks you want to share with everybody? Call in at 800-642-1234. That's 800-642-1234 or email ideas at WPR.org. Tom Content is executive director for the Citizens Utility Board of Wisconsin, the state's consumer advocate for residential and small business utility customers. Tom, welcome back to Central Time. Oh, Rob, great to be back. Great to be with you. So give us some more perspective. Sounds like good news down from last winter, but last winter was kind of bad. 
Yeah, last winter was bad. Uh, we had a whole bunch of things hit it, socking us all at once last year, um, and it wasn't just the weather. Um, it was natural gas prices actually tripled last year, um, and that's what that uh, the, the war in Ukraine, a whole bunch of other factors, including uh, U.S. exports increasing of natural gas, was kind of making for tight supply, and that really drove up the prices and actually really led to a pretty expensive winter uh, winter season. Uh, this winter, maybe not quite as bad, but still um, the analysis we, we put out, we published recently fr from the uh, National Energy Assistance Directors Association showed that it still could be the second highest and second most expensive winter of the last 10 years. And is uh, what's driving it? Is that natural gas prices aren't as uh, astronomically high, but still pretty high? Still a carryover effect, I think, from from those higher prices. You know, natural gas prices have come down uh, markedly, even though the war in Ukraine is still going on, and there there is a, a natural gas. Um, the whole Nord Stream pipeline issue was was one of the factors uh, issues that that cropped up during during that conflict. Um, and uh, but we're that's one of the factors. And then even for for homeowners who use other forms of heat. Um, this still could be one of the highest because um, most of Wisconsin, uh, most across the state, most Wisconsin residents do use natural gas for heat, but especially in the rural areas, people tend to use propane um, and some folks actually still use heating oil or electricity. Um, and for propane, propane prices, because crude oil, those are dependent on crude oil prices. So those heating costs are also supposed to be uh, high and actually um, more expensive than even for the much more expensive than natural gas itself. How much of this is a straight line between, you know, this is what fuel costs, so this is what we pay versus a utility rate increases that uh, might or might not vary based on the costs of production? Yeah, well, that's a that's a really good point. Mo on the heating, so there really it's two. You get even though you have one, a lot of people get one utility bill from from one utility. There's the heating side, there's the natural gas side, and the electric side. And so the natural gas side, that's driven primarily by that price of the natural gas, and also how cold the winter is. That that's a real. If we have a warmer than expected winter, and fingers crossed, um, the national outlook for the upper Midwest is calling for a warmer than normal winter, um, then that could actually ease up on that side. But on the electric side of the bill, and this is where Cub does most of its work, uh, we're really looking at a, a whopper of an increase for, for most utility customers across the state. In fact, um, the utilities are right now in for about a half a billion dollars worth of increases. And um, so we're hopeful that the Public Service Commission will um, follow Cubs' uh, recommendations and really rein those price increases in when they start making those decisions uh, in the next, actually starting tomorrow morning in Madison. Yeah, the utilities making the case that, hey, they're investing in clean energy for the future. They have other costs. They're dealing with inflation like everybody else. Uh, why shouldn't they be able to get these rate increases? You know, the, it's true that the, the, that the solar power, the transition to clean energy over time is projected to actually produce savings because the price of solar energy has really dropped dramatically over the last five and 10 years. Um, but what's what the challenge is that we're building so much and it's hitting our bills right at the same time when we're still uh, reliant a lot on coal-fired power and natural gas-fired power, So, uh, as well as nuclear. So there are so many things hitting all at once. And that's where 
um, Cubs Cubs point in these cases is really to for the customers to think about the average customer and think about those who are really struggling to to make ends meet. And we're highlighting the issue of utility profits because the profits of of Wisconsin and actually utilities across the country have been allowed to remain far too high for a long time. And it's time to right that wrong. And if if the Public Service Commission agrees with Cub in these decisions over the next few weeks, um, Wisconsinites could see savings of over $125 million over the next couple of years. Talking to Tom Content with the Citizens Utility Board of Wisconsin, looking at our winter heating and energy bills. You can join in at 800-642-1234. We're going to get into some advice for saving money on those bills and look at uh, help that might be out there for people who have trouble paying, you can join in at 800-642-1234. That's 800-642-1234. Tom, for that person who's, uh, you know, maybe having a tough time making ends meet and that uh, heating bill in particular is getting out of hand, what kind of help, what kind of options are available to them here in Wisconsin? So the first thing we recommend, and, and this is really important, um, two two main things. One is make sure you're on a, everybody sh- who's, concerned about the, the fluctuations in their energy bills from winter to summer should get on a budget billing program, which evens out those bills over the 12 months. So you're not socked with a giant bill one month and then, no, and then very small bills in the spring or the uh, fall. Uh, the other thing for, for folks who really are having a tough time, they should reach out to their utility if they're behind on their bills to make sure they get on a payment plan. Um, and they should, and then also there's a, a lot of considerable amount of federal money that's available uh, in terms of energy, federal and state energy assistance and um, energybenefit.wi.gov is a good link for people to go to because that's a one-stop place where you can apply for energy assistance. And what we found over time is that more people are eligible for energy assistance than actually sign up and get it. Let's bring on a caller at 800-642-1234. Larry is with us in Janesville. Larry, hi. Hi. I uh, heat with wood pellets. I buy my wood pellets ahead in the season. I just wonder if there was any uh, help with uh, purchasing those. Uh, Larry, uh, are you in a position where that's, you know, it's a hardship to, to stock up on those wood pellets? Well, it's hundred dollars now for the season. Sure. Larry, thanks for the call. Tom, uh, for the federal heating assistance you mentioned, is it uh, agnostic as far as how we heat, whether it's electric, natural gas, or like Larry, uh, wood pellets? I believe uh, it's you're, you're eligible to apply if you have, if you are um, income eligible, um, but I don't know the specifics on wood, on, on the uh, self-generated heat versus mm-hmm. utility, utility or propane heat. But I, I think assistance programs are still, are still el- uh, available. And the other thing to take advantage of uh, that uh, both, both uh, the, the, for uh, your older homes, um, not sure exactly how new Larry's home is, but there are weatherization funds available for people who are struggling to make ends meet. But I don't know specific uh, rebates or discounts on on the pellets. Larry, thanks a lot for that call. We're talking to Tom Content, Executive Director of the Citizens Utility Board of Wisconsin. But what we can expect from our utility bills this winter coming up, we'll get advice on saving some energy, keeping that heat uh, inside the house. 
You could join in at 800-642-1234. Do you have trouble paying for your utilities? Do you want some advice or have some advice to share on a weatherizing for the winter? Join in at 800-642-1234. That's 800-642-1234 or email ideas at WPR.org. We'll pick up the conversation coming up here on Central Time. You're listening to Central Time. I'm Rob Ferret. We continue our conversation with Tom Content, Executive Director of the Citizens Utility Board of Wisconsin, the state's consumer advocate for residential and small business utility customers, talking about what our heating bills might look like this winter and how we can save money on those bills. You can join in at 800-642-1234. Do you have questions about utilities and heating costs for the upcoming winter? Have you ever taken advantage of uh, energy bill assistance or rebates for efficiency improvements in your house? Do you uh, look for those focus on energy appliances join in at 800-642-1234 that's 800-642-1234 tom let's start uh, getting into conservation uh, saving energy and thereby saving money what is some of the low-hanging fruit that people might start looking for around their houses or apartments yeah so the first thing we always talk about is make if you may be eligible for a time of use rate which is kind of a nights and weekends that the price is cheaper. So if you can shift your your energy intensive behaviors just a bit, whether you're washing dishes. I think we lost Tom there. We'll see if we can get him back. Um, Oh, there we go. Tom, you're back. Go ahead. Am I back? You are. you hear me now? I hear you, Tom. Go for it. All right. So the first thing we talk about is... um, is getting on a nights and weekends rate with your local utility. It's called time, also called time of use. And that gives you discounts at nighttime to, uh, if you are able to shift your en- most energy intensive uh, activities around the house, like washing your dishes or laundry to the evening hours or early morning hours. And especially for those with electric vehicles for charging those at home, um, you can see some considerable savings. And uh, Another big low cost thing is thanks to our state focus on energy program, they have free energy packs that are just uh, everybody in Wisconsin who's a a most almost every utility customer in the state can get one of these free energy saving packs every single year. So you could get one now. Um, They actually have one that's uh, that's called uh, focus on prepping for sweater weather, which is where we are right now after the big chill that's just come in. So that's kind of a focus on comfort. It's got insulation materials. It's got weather stripping, different things. Um, and then and then even if you get that pack now, you, after January 1, you could get a, either a different focus pack, either for your bath, for, uh, energy saving devices for your bathroom or your showers. So uh, all Wisconsin residents are paying in to support this program that provides rebates to, to help us save on energy. And so it's, this is a low, a no cost thing that they provide. They provide discounts also for on, you know, energy efficient appliances and furnaces, but this is a free thing that we just want every, to everybody to know about and take advantage of. Let's go back to our callers. Mike is with us in Madison. Mike. Hi. Um, hi. Um, this past summer, uh, we decided to do a little something about, we live in an old farmhouse and the, and the thing, uh, is, takes a lot of propane to heat up, uh, keep warm in the winter, and we decided to do something about it. So we uh, uh, we put in about two more feet of uh, insulation in the attic and had everything sealed. But uh, we also replaced our, our furnace with a, with a heat pump. And uh, we 
pick this particular uh, model of heat pump because we were told that it would qualify for a, uh, a rebate from a Wisconsin program. Uh, so once the heat pump was installed and we got the paperwork from the uh, uh, contractor, we submitted it to uh, the agency and uh, they rejected it. They said that the, uh, the heat pump did not qualify for the oh. program. So we're just kind of wondering if, you know, is there any way to appeal this or is there, a, you know, there are other avenues that uh, we can look into? Mike, thanks for the call. There are various kind of products like those uh, heat pumps that Mike mentioned that might qualify for a rebate. Tom, in a situation where somebody uh, went in thinking they're going to get a rebate, is there a recourse if it's rejected the first time around? Uh, I, I, I don't know of one, but I would certainly, um, I would certainly try that. Um, there, there are also tax credits that are available right now, thanks to the Inflation Reduction Act, for upgrades to your home, including, um, including uh, getting an energy assessment, as well as, uh, um, boy, there are. I know there are, there are going to be heat, heat rebates on heat pumps. Um, that are going to be uh, are now are available probably starting next year uh, through the Inflation Reduction Act. Our state public service commission still has to finalize the rules on that. I'm really sorry to hear that that uh, that didn't exist because I know you're you're doing the right thing to save money for your for your home and 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 improve the comfort. Heat heat pump technology has come a long way for, and is working much better in cold climates. Um, there were uh, heat pumps have been popular around the country and are now United trying we're now starting to see them getting deployed uh, in the northern climates too. Um, I, reach, I would I would reach out to the cu- customer service team at Focus and and give it another shot, but I I can't make guarantees on that. Mike, good luck as you work through that. We'll go to Samara in northwestern Wisconsin. Samara, hi. Afternoon. Can you hear me? Okay. Loud and clear. What did you want to tell us about? Sure. Um, I'm the program manager at Wisconsin's K-12 Energy Education Program, which is one of the programs of the Wisconsin Center of Environmental Ed. And I was just calling in to remind listeners that our students, our K-12 students who are at home with us, can be really great advocates and allies for energy efficiency and conservation in our homes, because we know that they're learning about this at school through the professional development that we provide to their teachers, as well as the lessons Um, that teachers can get from us and the free lending kits that we have. And uh, educators and families can learn more about it at keepprogram.org. Thanks a lot for that call. Tom, can you talk about getting uh, the word out about our energy efficiency options? Oh, sure. I mean, that's a great program. There are so many, so many good programs out there and, and, and just like focus is out there and I encourage people to go to the focus on website. They should actually have a list of all the incentives that are available. Um, but that's a really, that's a really great educational initiative. And, and it's just, it's just so important because, um, the, the kids can teach us a lot, can't they? Um, and, and I think that's, that's really critical. I know when I was back at the journal Sentinel, we did a story about if, if everybody in the in their house, everybody went around their house and made sure they turned off the lights when they leave the room, and they you know replaced their light bulbs with LEDs uh, with their five their most frequently used lights in the house with LEDs, um, the whole uh, the whole state would see significant savings on their energy bill energy bills, and we'd have to build fewer power plants as a result and reduce our carbon footprint all at the same time. 
Thanks a lot for that call at 800-642-1234. Talking to Tom Content from the Citizens Utility Board of Wisconsin, looking at the upcoming heating season, upcoming, the currently existing heating season here in Wisconsin, and some energy-saving alternatives. Still time for you to join in at 800-642-1234. Tom, something I saw, this made me feel pretty good. Now, I've uh, for years been, uh, you know, pulling curtains up and down, right? Let the sun in when it's cold, block the sun out, you know, when I have the air conditioner on, vice versa to keep the heat in at night. And I thought, you know, is this really making a difference? Yes, apparently, according to uh, the advice on your website. Oh, that's right. We put that out on our blog, and that's something, you know, we do at our house. Um, is you, The sun is a powerful, <laughs> it's a powerful force, right? Um, and, and even on a cold uh, even on a cold day, that some that sunlight can really can really um, bring it, bring in some some radiance and some warmth, um, and it helps it helps your helps your mindset at the at the same time on those cold winter days. But that's a really good one. Another thing, there are actually energy saving thermal insulation curtains as well for people who want to spend a little more. Um, but and we have a lot of tips and resources like that on our website and. On our YouTube channel, we're going to have uh, a replay available in the next day or so for the we- uh, an energy savings webinar that we just hosted yesterday. Now, we've been looking at some of the smaller stuff. How about if we're in the market for appliances? What kind of things can we do to make sure we get the most uh, energy efficient one that meets our needs? So the, the focus on energy and Ener- Energy Star is a label that everybody should be looking for, but the Focus on Energy website will actually have detailed information about what's available uh, for you. In addition, um, there are uh, p- smart thermostats are available and there are discounts available on those uh, smart thermostats on the um, Focus on Energy, on energy uh, Marketplace uh, website. Um, so that's another thing to think about. Um, and that, and then the other thing, I mean, for, because these tax credits are available and more savings opportunities are coming through the Inflation Reduction Act, what we're recommending to people is that they should get an energy assessment, an energy audit. So a person comes in, an expert comes in with, they do either an infrared camera or a, or a blower door test, and they, they really find out where your house is leaking the most energy. Once, and there's a tax credit available for that. And once you get that, you can kind of plan out a roadmap for the projects at, that you can take over the next year, or t- year to three years to bring down your energy footprint. Because, and there will be savings opportunities th- coming with new rebate programs that will be administered by Focus to help you uh, afford some of these projects. Yeah, can you talk about uh, insulation? Now, say we've had that audit, we see where the heat is leaking out. Uh, what kind of things can we do and what kind of help is available out there in terms of uh, rebates? Adding insulation is such an important thing. I mean, you think about people, um, uh, the, uh, Green Homeowners United, which is a focal, focus on energy trade ILA, the way they just like to describe it is is um, if some, when we walk out into the, into the, into the cold, um, we sometimes lose, feel coldest on our feet and on our heads, right? Well, the house can be the same way. The attic and the basement are so important for shoring up your insulation. And that's, that energy assessment will usually find problems in the attic and the, and the basement. And that's the, that's the place to target for both insulation and air sealing. That, and Focus actually has um, discounts on whether you want to they have a DIY program for those who want to do stuff themselves, but then they also have 
a list of uh, you know energy assessors and certified installers of insulation on their on their website. Tom, we'll leave it there. Thanks again for joining us today. Oh, thanks so much. That's Tom Content, Executive Director of the Citizens Utility Board of Wisconsin. We talked to him about this winter's utility forecast, what our heating bills might look like, and ways we could save money on our energy bills over the course of the season. Coming up tomorrow here on Central Time, two conservative legal scholars wrote a widely read argument that former President Trump shouldn't be on ballots because of a provision in the 14th Amendment. That's getting tested in courts right now in a few states, including a couple of Wisconsin's neighbors. We'll check out the argument. You can join in with your thoughts on the idea and your questions. Plus, it's this week's edition of Food Friday featuring recipes and ingredients inspired by Latin American cuisine. That covers a lot of ground. You could join in with your favorites right now. Email ideas at WPR.org. That and more coming up tomorrow here on Central Time.